Honestly, Asian Greeks, hey, this is Vigor Lamb. Welcome to this podcast. In our first episode, my colleague, Cleta Wong, will host our first podcasts, Dr. Brian DeSono and Bilal Badruddin, to discuss the history of Asian American Greek letter organizations, or AEGLOs. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the first episode of Honestly, Asian Greeks. My name is Cleta Wong. I use she, her pronouns, and I am your first guest host. So I want to talk to you a little bit more about our Asian American Greek Letter Organization Education Collective. Our collective is comprised of Asian members and Greek lettered organizations with a background in higher education. We are professionals that specifically focus on supporting students and help bring in student development experience focused on challenging and supporting students' growth. And we're also focused on retention and graduation, holistic development, supporting students coming into themselves, their leadership development, social responsibility, sense of belonging, workshops, programming, advising, coaching, and research. So the Asian American Greek Letter Organization Education Collective decided to bring to you um, this podcast to share with you about Asian American Greek Letter Organizations and how they were established to create a sense of belonging in response to exclusion from historically white organizations. You're going to hear from alumni and current students in these organizations as they share their experiences and knowledge on various topics. These are their untold stories, their histories, and their narratives. Our hope is to generate discussion, reflection, and actions to help AAGLOs realize their original founding vision and mission. This podcast is hosted and curated by Norman Chen, Bigger Lam, Taylor Pumilong, and Cleta Wong. And it's brought to you by our AEC, the Asian American Greek Letter Organization Education Collective. So for our first episode, we're gonna talk about the history of Asian American Greek Letter Organizations. Our guests will be sharing with us how, when, and why these Asian American Greek Letter Organizations started and how they expanded throughout the last century. So I'd like to introduce our gracious guests Thank you for joining us on our adventure and journey um, to connect with different people. And we're really excited for you to be here. So I'll let you introduce yourselves and we'll go ahead and get started. Great. Thank you so much, Cleta, for having us on this podcast. We're really excited to share our stories today. My name is Brian DeSoto. I use he, him, his pronouns. I currently serve as a director of research and development for the National APIDA Panhellenic Association and also serve as the international president for Lanfa Epsilon Fraternity Incorporated. I crossed fall 2008 at the University of Washington and completed my PhD at Syracuse University. Really excited to be here. Hi everyone, uh, my name is Bilal Badudin. My pronouns are he, him, his. Uh, and I come to this space, one, as the current chair of the National APIDA Panhellenic Association, uh, but then also as the previous uh, National President for Delta Epsilon Psi Fraternity Incorporated. Uh, and then in addition to that, um, I currently am earning my PhD in higher education 
uh, at Howard University, a part of the inaugural cohort of the Higher Education Leadership and Policy Studies program. Uh, and so uh, it's interesting because I've seen the collective um, from both sides, one as a member, but then two uh, now being able to be a guest on this podcast. So thank you for that. Thank you. Again, we're really excited for you to be here. Um, I have a series of questions that I wanna ask you to um, before we dive into our main topic. My first question for both of you is, how did you hear about your respective organizations? Yeah, at my campus at the University of Washington, I first heard about my organization through a student involvement fair at the first couple of weeks of the quarter. Uh, there, I uh, was approached by several fraternal organizations and I wanted to make sure I did my research before entering into a lifelong commitment. I was really fortunate to find a community of men who really praised the importance of community involvement uh, and being leaders within the Asian American community. Yeah, I think for me, um, so my experience is a little bit different in that um, I actually found my organization via Facebook. Um, so when uh, I first stepped foot onto my undergraduate campus at Temple, um, I had no intention of joining a fraternal organization. And so my my good friends on, that I made in like the first couple of weeks of school had full intention of going Greek, um, both within the MPHC, but then also uh, other South Asian Greek little organizations. And so um, I, you know, went to the Meet the Greeks with them and saw them express interest in their organizations. Um, and I looked at the existing organizations on our campus. Uh, and then in the spring of 2008, I really was like, you know what, I think I'm just going to bring over a new organization. And so there was a Facebook group that existed at the time called South Asian Greek Alliance. And it was a group collective of all the South Asian fraternal organizations uh, and their members. And so through there, I got to see the other ones, the other organizations that were not on my campus and then uh, do some Facebook investigation, uh, you know, figured out which one best aligned with who I was and what I wanted to be. And then from there, uh, reached out to the national organization and uh, started the process shortly thereafter. Thanks so much for sharing. Okay, second question. Um, what is your nickname if you have one? The, if you remember your specific date, you don't have to share if you don't want to, but um, the, when you crossed and your line number. So my nickname is Brain, B-R-A-I-N. <laughs> I crossed fall 2008 at the University of Washington. Uh, while I crossed in the fall, I, um, I was initiated on January 9th, 2009. And my line number uh, within my chapter is 101. Uh, within my class, I was um, the ace. All right. Um, and so my brother name is Zodiac, um, and I crossed in the summer of 2008 on August 7th, 2008. Uh, and then I am the tray of my line, so uh, the third one in 
because I am a founder, I'm also the tray of our chapter. Okay. Last question is, do you have any shout outs to any specials, bigs or littles? You can do this right now. Yeah, I'd just like to give a quick shout out to my child lineage and also to the volunteers of the Land of Epsilon International Board. They were my rock throughout my years of grad school and I continue to find so much fun and fellowship in my conversations with them. Also, I love the Napa board and getting to connect with uh, leaders like Bilal and Vigor has been super rewarding and been so crucial to my holistic development as a uh, as an AAGLO um, member. All right. Um, I would also like to give a shout out to first and foremost Napa board. I do think that that is where um, I've found a lot of community um, amongst folks from other fraternal organizations. Uh, to my to the national board, especially during my presidency, uh, as a support system to me, and then going back a little bit further to the national council, even when I helped charter my organization, uh, because they really uh, were a solid guide through that process. Uh, in addition to that, uh, my three littles uh, in DSI are part of the PBS lineage, and then also uh, all of my littles in all the other sororities that exist out there. Um, although those are not official littles, um, I love you all as well. Okay, here we go. We're gonna talk about the history of AGLOs. So my first question is, um, can you share with us how it all started? Let's just start from the beginning. How did it all start? That's a really great question. And I'm glad that we're able to use this podcast as an opportunity to educate the listeners a little bit about AGLO history. So we can look at the history of AGLOs primarily in four waves. And the first wave really looked at these AGLOs um, in the, that were founded in the early 1900s with a membership that was primarily around a singular ethnic focus, predominantly Chinese on the East Coast. Um, and uh, from our research and looking at through documents and archives, uh, we've learned that there were a couple of organizations, particularly um, in New York and New England, that really um, sought to unite or sought to bring together uh, Chinese men um, who were in America to improve their education so that they would eventually return back to China and modernize the economic conditions of their motherland. So throughout their time here, they carried these aspects of collectivist culture. Um, they really adopted Confucian philosophy in developing their system of kinship uh, with other Chinese students. One of the, uh, so the first of these organizations was Flip Flap Fraternity, and they were formed at 1910 in Trinity College. They were the first Chinese fraternity to exist at an American institution. And Rho Sai Fraternity was the first AEGLO to adopt Greek letters into its name. And they were found, founded at 1916 at Cornell University. That is so interesting. I actually, um had no idea about when, where, or why they started, um, but I understand, right? Um, especially during that time, if you are in a country that you 
um, are trying to find community in and um, this is an opportunity to to build that kinship um, what a great way so you talked about these waves um, let's go into the second wave and I've noticed that the second wave paralleled with things happening in the world can you describe this time yes so in the second wave of Asian American Greek letter organizations they formed on the onset of the Great Depression up to the Second World War Due to the discriminatory racial conditions of the period, Chinese and Japanese students were compelled to create their own fraternal organizations so that students of similar backgrounds could feel a sense of belonging in a nation that ostracized them. So for example, Pi Alpha Phi, they were one of the first AGLOs established on the West Coast. They were founded at UC Berkeley in 1929 for Chinese American men. And in that same year, Chi Alpha Delta sorority formed at the University of California, Los Angeles, and they began as a sisterhood of Japanese American women. Yeah, I was wondering more about when the sorority started. Thank you for sharing that. So in the third wave, the civil rights movement is a big part of our nation in the 1960s. And we see a large influx of Asian immigration due to the Immigration and Nationality Act of 1965. What did we see happening here with AAGLOs during this time? Yeah, that's a really good question. So um, with that, I think that first there, when we think about the racism that existed, um, it, it was in really all directions. And so there was a surge of race-based activism uh, in the 1960s that really helped shape the way that, you know, minority identities are construed, but then also uh, creating pan-ethnic identities. And so, um, when we think about our our Asian identity, um, we we think about you know this pan Asian identity that was created during this time, uh, and it came out of the the term um, Asian American, which was coined in the nineteen sixties uh, to really help unite and um, I guess create a, a coalition and bond between the various Asian nationalities. So your Chinese, Filipinos, or Japanese, um, under this common political term. And then uh, even with that, there were some discriminatory challenges there. And so uh, with Asian American activism, it gained traction across university campuses. Uh, and then, then the creation of new Asian American Greek little organizations really helped shift that and um, created a brand for AAGLOs that united both Chinese and Japanese identified folks, uh, but then also moving towards being truly Pan-Asian. Uh, and so uh, in that third wave, we, see, we really see what it means to truly be an Asian American Greek led organization from the start um, and uh, being Pan-Asian in that way. So we've talked a lot about East Asian representation in the beginning. Um, for Asian American Greek letter organizations. Can you share with us more about when Desi organizations started forming? I can, yeah. Um, so, you know, as, as much as there is a commonality in being Pan-Asian um, and being a part of this collective APIDA community, um, there are definitely lots of differences and nuances between uh, subcultures within the Asian community, right? And so um, we actually see DC South Asian orgs kind of separate themselves 
from the East Asian organization um, in the early 90s, starting with Delta Phi Beta in 1992. And so Delta Phi Beta started um, in California and, um, you know, it started as a co-ed organization, right, which was new in the fraternal spectrum in, um, in that way, but then also as the first South Asian Greek led organization. Um, Delta Phi Beta expanded to a few campuses all within California um, in, in the early 90s. Uh, and then on the East Coast, you have Idaho New Delta, which started in 1994 in, at Binghamton. Uh, and so IND is the, the first fraternity uh, that is more traditional in that it is um, a, a men's organization. Uh, and then also, is the first organization that still currently exists. So Delta Phi Beta disbanded um, not too long ago. So uh, IND still exists and has, has grown um, nationally. Uh, and then when we think about what the, the movement for the South Asian Greek community looks like, it really took off, I would say roughly around 1998. Uh, Cause in 98, we see the formation of a lot of organizations, starting with Delta Epsilon Psi, then shortly after, you know, you have, on the fraternity side, you have Alpha Iota Omicron, uh, Chi Psi Beta, and then on the sorority side, you have Kappa Phi Gamma, Delta Phi Omega, and Sigma Sigma Rho, all started in 1998. Uh, so for the South Asian fraternity and sorority side, I think that was a, a huge catalyst year. Thanks for sharing that. So I want to dip into current research. Um, for me as an individual who is an alum of a sorority, um, I'm, my vision, my purview is just focused on my chapter, right, and my organization. And I really didn't know about the history of these organizations, right? Um, when I was doing research on figuring out which organization to join, um, there wasn't really much on the internet at the time. I mean, Facebook was barely founded my first year in college, right? And so like Google was still a thing, but there still wasn't a lot of information available. So um, I know that you too, as well as Vigor and others have been a part of um, establishing more um, text to um, our history of our organization. So can you tell me more about your current research and what's out there for us? Absolutely. I think that there are a number of works in progress. Several of the book chapters that Blal and Vigor and I have collaborated on are currently available. And uh, we've, written, we've recently published a book chapter that really provides a comprehensive history of Asian American Greek letter organizations. So if you're interested in what you just heard now, we implore you to read that full book chapter. Uh, that is uh, within a larger collection called Foundations, Research and Assessment of Fraternities and Sororities, Retrospective and Future Considerations. This is uh, through Stylist Publishing. And again, that title was History of Asian American Greek Letter Organizations. And then there was a companion publication that also came out with that chapter. Uh, and this is, and this publication gives more of a history of the National APIDA Panhellenic Association, which is currently the uh, large coalition of 20 right now uh, sororities and fraternities uh, that have an AGLO um, identity or, or have historic ties to the, a to the APIDA community. 
Our newest chapter with Antonio Duran and Crystal Garcia is called A Practitioner's Perspective, Asian Interests, Sororities, and Fraternities that is going to be released through Peter Lang Publishing. So those are more of the formal scholarship that has been um, in the works and in progress. This is really important for our community because this scholarship is written by our members for our members. Oftentimes, uh, past research that has been done on Asian American Greek, Greek letter organizations hasn't been conducted with our community or hasn't brought in our community and sought to hear our perspective. So we really wanted to make sure that we are able to author and write that narrative for ourselves and for our community. Um, there are also additional resources that we've been able to compile over the past several years that are now publicly available on the Napa website. If you go to the research section, you'll see that there is in addition to a detailed bibliography of existing scholarship, we've also included available databases for the public to download. These databases include geographic information of where Napa chapters are located across North America. It also includes historical information about when these organizations were established across institutions and what year. We are constantly looking for ways that we can add value through scholarship and through literature for our community. Uh, and we're always open for collaboration in future work. Thanks for sharing that. So we talk about the history of AJLOs. Now I want to open it up to the future. What does the future look like for us? That is a good question. I mean, I think that when we think about the future, we, we don't know what it looks like because we also didn't know that 2020 was gonna look the way that it did. Um, and so I, when we think about the future for our organizations, um, I think that we also, we need to look at the research, right, and what that is telling us. Like, I think that we are now in this point in Asian American Greek letter organization history that we've existed long enough where now folks are writing about us. Um, and we need to look at the research and the studies that are going on and how that, that can inform what's going on for us. And so uh, in the literature that Brian referenced, um, it really speaks to the fact that we need practitioners that know how to advise and work with Asian American, Asian American Greek letter organizations. Um, and then, you know, that can build rapport and trust with the community. Uh, and so sometimes that is really advocating for a staff member that advises like specific councils for Asian American Greeks um, or, you know, having an advisor that is a part of an Asian American Greek little organization, like all those things kind of um, point towards that. And uh, I think the research does, uh, does reference that. Um, in addition to that, you know, really, promoting and uh promoting the formation of napa councils and like that's a new initiative um from napa but uh it really is going to create identity affirming spaces uh for a peter fraternity 40 members right and so um like mamta akapati's 2005 dissertation really points to the fact that you know kappa phi gamma created this uh the sorority experience that was both identity affirming um for but then also well identity farming for race ethnicity and gender right but then also 
uh, really created a, a community of belonging. And so like, what would that look like if we expanded that even further for the entire APITA fraternal sorority community, right? And so thinking about how powerful that could really be, um, I think that's another um, thing that the, the research is pointing towards. Uh, creating and fostering like solid relationships with our national headquarters uh, staff and volunteers. Um, and I get it, you know, I was in undergrad at one point and I know that sometimes it seems cool to not partner with your headquarters, but it's not like, um, I, like our headquarters volunteers know what they're doing and they're volunteering their time to really help move these organizations forward. Um, and they actually have access to, you know, this research that we're publishing and um, they're part, they're having these conversations with other fraternity sorority advisors on what the, the best way to move our organizations is. And so um, for me, I really feel like for undergraduate members and honestly, even alumni to partner with the national headquarters and helping move our organizations forward um, is another thing that the research is positing, but then also um, it's something that we just need to do as members of our organizations. Um, and then learning the history, like, you know, we, we touched briefly on the history during this podcast, um, but there's a lot more. Um, and so shameless plug, but read the chapter that Brian, Bigger, and myself have written. And I think that um, that will teach folks about the history of our organizations. Um, but then I think the other part of it is that Greek life did not start with Asian American Greek organizations, right? Uh, and so I think it's also our priority and our responsibility to learn the history of the entire fraternal movement, right? But then also particularly Black Greek-led organizations that help pave the way for Asian American Greek-led organizations to exist, right? And so um, I think learning that history is, is another um, future, I hope, for our community. Um, and then also partnership and collaboration amongst Asian American Greek letter organizations, chapters, and then also nationally. Um, but then and that's collaboration with amongst each other, but then also uh, intercouncil with like NMGC organizations, NALFA organizations, um, and all like all the organizations that exist, uh, because that that is the way that we can really help move the educational piece a little bit more um, more forward uh, in that way. So those are, I would say, the the big pieces that the research um, speaks to for the future direction of our organizations. Um, but that's no means an all encompassing list. I think you know, these conversations should continue to happen. And then as they continue to happen, we're going to see that there are future implications uh, that come out of those conversations. That was so affirming. I mean, I think about my own organization in my own chapter and how as an alum, but also a founding mother, I want to stay connected to this organization, right? Because it really shaped who I was in my own identity development as an Asian American woman. Um, in Texas and the South, but also um, living and working in the Midwest, I have seen the contrast. And so um, definitely reaffirming of trying to stay connected and be in community, but also 
sharing with my chapter about the history of my own organization, but also I'm really excited to to even share these book chapters, right? These publications with my own chapters so they actually understand our history as a collective, um, as a Pan-Asian community. So, but thank you so much. Um, well, finally, I, I wanna, you know, identify um, with you all some additional implications for practice, right? We have some higher ed folks who are um, listening, but also um, student leaders and um, alumni who want to um, stay connected or reconnect um, with higher education, but specifically with their organizations, whether it's through Napa or their national organization. So can you share with us about um, what this means for us in practice? I can. Um, so when we think about the research that exists, um, you know, like all theories, they are just a guiding framework to to practice. Um, and so I think that what that connection, that translation piece is, is really up to the individual, right? Um, but I do think that once again, like one of the things that the, the research posits is being able to see someone who you identify with in a space of, you know, mentorship or um, or even authority as a fraternity authority advisor, right? Um, but I think it's important to for members of Asian American curricular organizations to identify um, and build a relationship with a mentor uh, of an Asian American curricular organization, right? Um, and sometimes that's someone who's affiliated with the organization, but I think that we also need to get into the mindset of, as a community, we have a lot more in common even across our organizations, right? And so uh, what does that mentorship look like? And so I know so for, for me, someone who I consider a mentor is actually a member of Brian's fraternity, right? Ajay, Dr. Ajay Nair, who's the president of Arcadia University, is a member of, uh, is a member of Linda Phi Epsilon, right? Um, and so for me, even though we're part of different fraternal organizations, we have similar, um, similar backgrounds, similar experiences that build that connection. And so um, I think that that is one piece of um, like the implications of practice. I would also say uh, ongoing research on our organizations. And so um, I know this is something that Brian, myself and Vigor um, amongst others are super passionate about. Um, but the, I mean, research, research is so broad and vast that it could also be someone who is currently an undergraduate member telling their story. That is research. Um, and that is, that is fact because no one can really uh, undermine or say that your experience did not happen because it's your experience. It's how you interpreted it. Um, and so I, I think that I would love to see more members of our organizations telling their story about what their experience is like, right? Um, and that's for positive and negative, right? Because I think that even from those negative experiences, we can really pull um, pull some concepts about like what needs to change in our organizations and how can we continue to grow. Uh, so I, I would think that there's a, a need for ongoing research on our community. And then um, 
like I mentioned previously, just collaborations um, across our organizations. Uh, we, we have a lot more in common than we think. And so, and I think that there's also a level of um, pulling others forward that needs to happen as well. Uh, so I always think about this as a, and this is super Greek of me, um, but because I am on the campus of Howard University, um, when we're on campus, there's a statue, Lady Fortitude, which has a, a connection to Delta Sigma Theta Sorority Incorporated. Um, and, you know, Lady Fortitude has one hand that is up towards the sky and another that is um, behind her pulling others forward, right? Um, and so to me, that is a direct connection is in terms of what our organizations need to be doing. Um, and I, I think it's a great example of what Delta Sigma Theta has done. Uh, and so it is our responsibility to help pull our entire community forward. And I think that that is where strategic collaborations amongst Asian American Greek organization has a lot of um, opportunity and possibility there. Wow, I have learned a lot. Thank you, thank you so much. Um, something that we are hoping to do for each episode, um, this is like letting you all know our planning process, but um, just for transparency, we, when we thought about creating this podcast, um, something that was really important to us was um, healing, right? The AAGLO Education Collective was formed out of um, collective trauma, right, and um, experiences, and um, we wanted to build this community to 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 take in um, to partake in healing as a community. And so um, this is something that we wanted to continue through the podcast. So I want to thank you for sharing your truth. I want to affirm that um, you have done a lot of research and have gained a lot of knowledge to share our history um, as Asian American Greek letter organizations. And um, for a very long time, this history was untold. And so thank you so much for um, working together and um, really educating us, but also continuing that work. And then I want to thank you for your expertise and resilience, right? Um, you are staying connected with your national organizations, but also collectively through the NAPA board. Um, I think that's really, really important um, for alumni, but also folks who want to continue the legacy of our organizations um, for many generations to come. Um, it's really, really important to do this work. So thank you so much. Um, and finally, you know, something that we thought was really important was a call to action. I want to ask you too, what would you like our listeners to know or to do? You know, um, now that we have briefly learned about this history um, and implications of practice, what would you like our listeners to know or do? Awesome. Skida, thank you so much for the opportunity for us to engage our community uh, for the Napa board uh, side of things. Uh, we want everyone to know that we are constantly looking for new streams and new stories, new streams of work and new stories to tell. Um, if you are interested in collaborating with NAPA to either uh, uh, 
have requests for data collection. For example, if you're working on a master's or doctoral thesis, we'd absolutely love to engage with you and provide you with the information and resources that you need. Um, if you are a member of an Asian American Greek letter organization, uh, please engage with the research requests that we may send out periodically so that we can better survey our community, better get to know the wants and needs of our undergrads, we better get to understand how we can make our AGLO experience uh, relevant for our alumni across all phases of their life. And uh, for our higher education partners and uh, for our higher education community, uh, please know that NAPA is also in the process of continuing to grow and develop. Uh, we are, again, a volunteer-led organization and we really want to make sure that we are also providing the resources for our campus-based professionals and for our alumni advisors and, and the faculty advisors. So please look at NAPA as a collaborative body. We're always uh, willing to listen and to uh, volunteer to meet the needs of our community. I, uh, thank you. Uh, I think, so first I want to thank Peter, you as well as uh, the rest of the AEC and the podcast team for bringing Brian and myself on. Um, and I think in terms of what I would want listeners to know slash do. Um, so I think that there's a couple of things. Uh, so first and foremost, um, between my analogy pulling from Delta Sigma Theta's um, Lady Fortitude to even before that when we talked about the immigration movements for Asian Americans, well, Asians to come to America, right? There's a, a strong presence of Black folks advocating for others, right? Uh, and I think that it is our job as Asian American community organizations uh, to really tackle anti-Blackness within our, our organizations and our communities. Uh, so that is the first piece because our organizations and honestly us as people in America would not exist if it was not for Black folks, right? And so I think that is one piece that I want folks to really know and what they do with that information, honestly, I, I hope it is acts of resistance and, you know, continuing to make change. Uh, but that's really up to them as individuals. Um, I think when it comes to specifically our fraternal community, um, I, want, I do want folks to really know, particularly undergraduate folks, to know that your your role in your organization does not end when you graduate and so um if that's what you wanted you could have joined a student organization where your your role does end after you graduate um, but these are fraternities these are lifelong commitments and so um well fraternities and sororities and so what does that look like you know one or two years out of graduate um after graduation what does that look like five or ten years out of graduation and what does it look like when you're 50 or 60, right? Um, and so your organization should be playing a role in your life and not just one where you're only benefiting, right? What are you giving back to the organization uh, to help move it forward? And so I would encourage, you know, 
AAGLO members um, who are undergraduates to volunteer with their headquarters to um, to volunteer with Napa. If you if you know you think that you can't make a huge change within your organization, we'll find a way to help you make a change um, as Napa board. Um, I would like to see folks go into higher ed and become fraternity sorority advisors and you know help on the advising side of things. I think that there really is, there's an infinite possibility. There are infinite possibilities on um, how you can remain involved post graduation, but it's up to you to remain involved. And so that's just another piece. And that's all I have. <laughs> Well, that's it, y'all. Thank you for joining us for our first episode. Um, thank you, Brian and Bilal, for being our first guests. Um, we hope that you have learned, but also will continue your learning and unlearning through more research. Um, and really excited to share with you um, more in the future. So check us out on all of our social media and we'll see you next time. Mm -hmm.